John Curley, Sherry Ellicker Show with Jack Stein. Thank you, Jack, filling in for Sherry. Sherry back on Monday. Should be a difficult day for her. Probably has already happened. She's three hours ahead of us. She, Her father passed a number of months ago. He was her, her absolute best friend, and she's been working on the eulogy that she had to deliver, and she wrote me this morning, and I, she said, oh, God, I hope I can make it through the whole thing. And uh, I said, you know, she goes, I put some jokes in there to try to allow myself to regain composure because I'm sure I'm just going to be crying through the whole thing. I said, you know, Andrew could come down there and be there and mm-hmm. uh, do fart fart sounds and other sound effects to help you <laughs> through it. She did she say anything about, did she put any hand jokes in there so I could come down there and play <laughs> some rim shots? Something like that. I got my time again. We are, thank you, Andrew, for that. We are just um, two hours away from the big game. I'm not talking about that big game. I'm talking about the other big game. That's uh, that's a girls' basketball game. Um, boy, you go to a girls' basketball, especially gets into the playoffs and stuff like that, it's electric in the stands. I mean, just <laughs> moms and dads and cheerleaders and everybody just going crazy. The home team gets an advantage, obviously, but then sometimes the visitors get advantage who cheering louder. Well, that cheering can really, really help motivate the players, right? They can feel the energy. You know, all those people in the gym, it's just loud. They're banging on the bleachers. It's going to be silent. Just the sound of squeaky sneakers and uh, the ball bouncing and maybe occasionally the uh, the referee blowing the whistle for a, a on-ball foul or something. But in this case, no fans, no parents, no one's allowed in the gym. Why, Jack? A restriction is related to, or the restriction rather, is related to a alleged racist comments by a Gig Harbor player towards a uh-huh. Peninsula player during a game between the rival schools on January 11th. The district hired wow. an outside investigation to probe those allegations. And then according to the district statement, they can't talk about it because uh, it's under the advice of the district's legal representatives. So... Mm-hmm. They don't want anybody there, and only district administrators, coaches, players will be in attendance. I don't. There's a piece missing here, which mm. is why why they won't allow fans there. And a district spokesperson declined to to say why fans aren't allowed at the games. Uh, so it's just kind of bizarre in every single way, shape, and form, John. So the uh, Peninsula played Gig Harbor. Once in January, then they played him again at the beginning of February. So yep. apparently, the alleged um, slur occurred in January, but then they let him play again, right? And now they're going to play. They're going to meet again. I think the last time they played was like sixty-three to twenty something. The score. So they're going to let him play again. But in this case, no, no, fa- no fans in the stands. But they said it was a player said something to another player right. on the court, but. Not having fans somehow is going to alleviate this thing or somehow stop it or mitigate it from occurring again. And again, when they said they're going to do an investigation, they do these investigations. There was the other story of Lake's football team uh, playing Stanwood, and apparently the, the, head, the head coach of Lake's said the players were saying, using the N-word, um, and then also they heard lots of chant, cheering and N-word coming from the stands, the visitor stands. And that the head coach of Lakes told the referees it was happening. Later on, the ref said, "We never, you know, no one told us. We hadn't heard it. In order for the players to hear it coming from the stands, we'd have to come all the way across uh, the yeah. across the track, across the players, across the cheering cheerleaders, and everything." 
and and that story was was printed in the paper that um racial slurs not alleged but did matter the investigation later on found that nothing had happened but in this case here we go i assume they go to the lawyers and they say to the lawyers what can we do to not get sued and mm. so the lawyers like well we'll let them play but if we keep the if we keep the fans out of the stands Maybe that's the best thing we can do to, because co- lawyers will always do, will always side to cover their rear ends, the, the organization's rear end as best it possibly can. So by not having parents there, somehow you're going to mitigate a lawsuit. You're going to stop stuff from happening. You're going to, it doesn't make much sense, but this is the way they handle it. They have to do something. So there was that. So what, yeah. What there do? was that other. Let's do something. Yeah. There was that incident that happened at BYU where there was that claim that the a member of the girls volleyball team had was using slurs during the game towards mm-hmm. one of the girls on the other volleyball team. But then that guy filmed the entire like at courtside. He had filmed the entire interaction. Didn't happen one time. And so the what makes this so awkward is that we see these instances pop up and obviously racism is bad in all of its forms. But. Recently, it seems like the more this comes up, the more that it seems like this is, and I, I hate to use this word, but almost manufactured in some way, or that somebody's feelings got hurt, and so they decided to ramp it up to the point where they said, well, they, well, actually, they were using racial slurs, but then the, in so many of these investigations, that's not the, that's not the case. It just didn't happen, mm-hmm. particularly with that incident at BYU, where that gentleman released the footage from the game, and there's not even a a, a, a word of of any kind of insult going between the teams. It seems pretty chummy, as a matter of fact. So what is this environment now, I guess, John? What do you think this is where when somebody feels like they've been slighted, they immediately go to, this was a racist attack against me, or this is someone used a slur. What what do you think this is within the society that that keeps occurring? Uh, Well, what keeps occurring? I mean, the hoax crimes? The hoax, hate crimes, yeah. Those? I guess it's a, I think that's a yeah. It's a weird way to put it. I, I, I hesitate to phrase it that way, John. But it seems like it happens a, a lot, particularly when it's involving sports, where somebody says the, a, a claim was made and somebody threw an insult at me, and it was a racially motivated uh, insult. And then the investigation happens, and it never. This is the crazy thing. There's never any follow up. Did anybody? At Good oh, Morning no, no, America. No, 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 no. You know There's, what I mean? The, the investigations are done. The media and the investigations are normally released to the public. The media doesn't cover them, right? The exactly. The Tribune, when they wrote the story up originally, they didn't use the word alleged. They just simply said that it happened. And then this is uh, endemic of all the racism that's occurring all the time. You know, it's the same way with uh, Juicy, Juicy Smollett. Right. And that yes. was no one has said alleged on that, even though it just made absolutely no sense at all. And by the way, the BYU sports director got up and apologized and said, we're going to work together as a community, better understand this and eradicate this. And we're going to be better about this. And I think it was a North Carolina or a South Carolina, maybe North Carolina uh, basketball, uh, volleyball team said, even after the whole thing found out to be nothing but a hoax, it was just all garbage made up. The, a North Carolina volleyball team, college basketball team said, we're not going to play BYU. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. It's been proven that it didn't happen. The whole thing was made up. But yet you're going to not play them based upon what? Why? Why would you because. not play them? So, but the because. fact was, but nothing happened. 
but then they, they're not going to play him. And, and I don't know what this story is with this. Somebody uses the N-word, which I'm sure a lot of these young women, if you listen to uh, hip-hop, it's every fourth word. So should, you know, um, that the white girl said to the black girl, or did the white girl say to another white girl, or black girl said to, who knows, who cares? The thing is, is that they decide that this is going to take this investigation. What is the, and they hired an outside investigator. Well, what is, how do you investigate something like this unless you're going to have some sort of evidence, which would be, as you mentioned, in the BYU case was two and a half hours of videotape that was watched and they right. couldn't find it anywhere. Um, so the media doesn't follow up on it because they just, they like the first story, which is, you know, this is evidence of what a horrible country we are and white supremacists. And oh, by the way, the FBI should be investigating Catholics. Um, yeah, it's the same sort of thing. So they're going to do an outside investigation. Well, maybe they find out that it it didn't happen. But again, the media will not cover it. But for these girls that are playing this basketball game as they're heading through the playoffs, to not have your mom or dad there. By the way, you can watch it at home uh, on some streaming thing. You can pay forty nine bucks or something to have it streamed, and you can watch it that way. But this. It, it's ridiculous. And if you if you do have a problem, you bring the girls into the locker rooms and you explain what the story is. And you say, listen, be better competitors. Show some respect to one another out there and don't use these words, you know, because it's it's just sport, poor sportsmanship. And it's just ugly. It's ugly. And that's not who you are. Allow the coach and the players to have the relationship to adjust the behavior that occurs on the court. It's about to bring the lawyers in and ask the lawyers what should we do. Oh, well, let's just right. make sure we don't want to get sued on this. Allow the relationship between the players and the coach to exist. Bring the players and the coaches together away from the media, away from everybody else. You bring them all into the locker room together and you talk it out or something. But let's... Let's do what we let's just shut everything down. Not any parents in there. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, just absurd, uh, absurd that they do something like that. John, did I ever tell you that I used to be on a swim team when I was in high school? Did I ever tell you about this? Butter back, breast or free? Uh, free, primarily long distance. So I was doing like the 1650 and the 800. So I was going yeah. for, you know, in the, in the yeah. pool for like 10, 20 minutes. So yeah. we go one time we're at this swim meet and we're playing or we're swimming at a is somewhere in central California. We, we get up early in the morning. You know, it's a uh, springtime oh, in oh. California. We drive four hours all the way out there to go to this. Meet. Oh, the stinky and, van, the stinky van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the <laughs> So we get out there and it's a heated competition at a certain point in time. One of the opposing teams starts hurling homophobic slurs at our team. And it just so happened we had a couple of guys who were out on our swim team. Okay. And I remember uh, Coach Conrad, he pulled mm-hmm. us aside and he said, I don't want you guys to say a word to those guys. He goes, I want you to mm-hmm. swim. I want you to focus on what you're doing. I want us to get because that's the way it works in swimming. It's like golf. You get a bunch of yeah. points. And he yeah, goes, yeah. I don't want you guys. To, he goes, I don't want you guys walking over there. I don't want you guys doing anything. I want no re- retaliation whatsoever. We were like little soldiers, John. We were like, yeah, we're not right, going yeah. over there. <laughs> We're not talking to those those homophobes, right? And we won the meet. And I know it's a good story, but I think it, it kind of uh, punctuates your point, John, that that there was a moment there where Coach Conrad Coors, who was a saint of a man, pulled us aside and he said, listen, guys, here's the deal. Be men about this. Don't be boys. Like, let's handle this like adults. And we did. So 
no lawyers, right? No, nobody was on the phone with their mom. Mom, come pick me up, right? It was all like yeah. very, and it was a lesson that I now remember. God, what is that? Twenty years later, I remember yeah. that speech from Coach Conrad about having pride in yourself and in and in competition. Jackie Robinson breaking the racial barrier and being able to play baseball and what the fans would yell at him and what the other players would yell and the, uh, the pitchers uh, taking shots at him, a uh, high heat, you know, brushing him back or hitting him intentionally. And then I think it was Jackie Robinson, first time at the bat, whatever it was, when he came up on the minors, I think he hit a home run that – Yes, there was racism, and yes, people would scream stuff in the stands, and nobody would go, yo, dude, that is uncool, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. right? No one would say that. But no, nowadays, no. like for instance, the BYU thing, bring them young. This is like Mormon college. And you think someone's going to be yelling from the stands at the ki- at the players, at these kids, these, no. these young women, no. and no one's going to go, yo, dude, that is what are you doing? You wouldn't yell it. You wouldn't say it. You just wouldn't. It's this magic word that causes everybody to lose everything if you say it, right? But, and the th- okay, I don't know what happens on the court. Maybe it's a couple of comments if the ref doesn't hear it. But so you, and you have to get the girls that might have heard the other girls say it for the investigators to come in. But just on its face, the absurdity of going to the lawyers and saying, what could we do to allow the, the the basketball game to go on, but what do you recommend that we do? But how, how, how can we not get sued? How can, we, how can we not get in trouble? Well, don't have the fans in the stands. <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, that's $300 an hour for that advice. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. Because, because the thing is that everybody just takes the advice of the attorneys, right? You just say, well, we asked our legal counsel and they told us to do this. I mean, when you turn to your lawyer and go, well, what is that going to do? How's that going to stop anything? Gig Harbor playing Peninsula. They've played. This will be the third time they've met. So apparently somebody said some racial slur allegedly in the January game. And then they met again. I think it was February 3rd or something. And they're going to meet again. Right. And in this time, you've got to watch the game from outside somewhere else because we can't have fans in the stands. It's just on the face of it. It's absurd. I hope you get your money's worth from your legal team there um, that you spoke to. So, I mean, if I were a parent, let me tell you one thing, Jack. I hope you do meet somebody, fall in love, and, and, and blessed with children. It is the most amazing feeling to watch your kid on the court or on mm. the mound or in the field or on the field. It is the greatest feeling in the world. Even when your kid's like seven years old, I used to say to him, he's like, Dad, why do you cheer so hard? I said, all right. You, when I see you on the pitcher's mound, he goes, Dad, I have two pitches. Either it's over the head of the catcher or into the head of the batter. I go, I know. <laughs> I get it right, but I'm telling you. When it hits that smack of the leather, he goes, what leather is that? I said, right, it doesn't matter. Stay, stay focused. Stay focused up on the mound. It transcends every single athletic experience you've ever had. You swimming that long, boring, you know, uh, 1600. By the way, everybody yeah. hated the long distance swimmers because it was so boring to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Suck <laughs> the energy John. out of hope. Yeah. People are like, Hey, how can I, how can I breathe in more direct chlorine so I don't have to watch the long ones? All right. Yeah. <laughs> 
a three-hour wait to get through security, missed flights, have we over outgrown our airport? SEA knows it has a problem, but is their overhaul plan enough to change your experience the next time you fly? Cairo 7's DD Sun gives you a closer look Monday at 5.30 p.m. only on Cairo 7 TV. Thank you, John Curley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate that. Don't forget Bucky's, Bucky's Auto Service Centers. You've heard me watch, you've heard me say it a million what times. What we've got here is failure to communicate. No, we don't. You know I'm communicating with you. they got 16 equations, been around for 52 years. Take that old broken-down jalopy of yours to Bucky's, Bucky's Auto Service Centers. Um, trigger warnings have been around since about 2015 when colleges decided they were going to create safe spaces for students. So warning them ahead of time that you may hear something. Maybe it's from Shakespeare or something from Western Civ that's going to be upsetting to you. So look out, everybody. There will be a trigger warning for you. The Wall Street Journal. I'd like to give you all a list of my trigger warnings. Yeah. By the way, the uh, Wall Street Journal looks into uh, whether trigger warnings have any effect is it a positive or negative this is from family Guy. what's a trigger warning actually brah asking me what a trigger warning is is one of my triggers brah i feel traumatized brah and now i'm tweeting about you brah and now you're trending brah and now your life is ruined brah and now you're fired brah <laughs> you ever seen that episode <laughs> no i've not seen that <laughs> oh my god family guy i love that anyway the wall street sure looks into it and these again the idea the trigger warning is to create a safe space for students so that they are not triggered did you pick up anything in this uh piece from the wall street journal that that um illuminated it or changed your mind about them jack no i've always thought they were stupid and i always thought it was a bad idea there was an article that was written or actually a study that was done in, in 2018 and it concluded that the idea of a, a trigger warning was uh ineffective but also is counter therapeutic meaning that it makes your anxiety around a topic even worse and it encourages the avoidance of reminders of trauma and uh um there's another clinical term for uh, avoidance maintenance which means that i the, even the idea even approaching the idea of it i have now conditioned myself to such a degree that i will be disgusted at the mere mention of it and so right. effectively that what you're saying is that you're making people emotionally weaker and that is bad. This is not good right. for anybody. The author of The Black Swan wrote a really book called Anti-Fragile. And he was mm. talking in the book about that when you create this environment, as you have sort of alluded to from the Wall Street Journal piece and probably your own personal take on these trigger warnings, that you're creating an environment where the, where the student is then um, – the anxiety is intensified. The depression is intensified. You're creating a thing that the whole, that even this word should upset you. And then in groups, when they've done tests, uh, we're going to tell you those are trigger warning. How many people are now concerned? If you're not raising your hand, it's showing that you're insensitive to other people's feelings. So then what mm. happens is in the sort of group think, if you're not offended by it, then you're not with me and my feelings are hurt and then you're not um you're not giving me the respect that I need because I am so upset by the fact that what well, William Shakespeare's words or someone else is saying something or you're reading Mark Twain and there's a word in there is upsetting to you or to kill a mockingbird is upsetting to you. So what happens is it 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 falls under this thing of like um you know Nietzsche's whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger as in anti-fragile, they basically point out the other thinking is, well, whatever doesn't kill me makes me weaker. 
right? Mm. So that each one of every, if I were to hear that word that I'm being warned about, then I am somehow, it hurts me just a little bit more and a little bit more each time I hear the word. You are encouraging a reaction to a word or a thought that is making the student um, damaged by the word. And then it intensifies because I heard it the first time. It was upsetting to me. Oh, my God, a second time. So every time you're hurt again by the word or a thought or an idea that rather than uh, um, understanding the context of when it was used and why it was used, you all you're doing is focusing on your own feelings which are paramount to everything else in the world, then the body of work, the art, um, the thought, uh, the whatever it is that the author or the painter or the sculptor is trying to relate to you. It's, it's now rather than being thought of and analyzed in a critical way, it is all going directly to your feelings, which, again, are the most important thing that we have nowadays. So, uh, John, you know, I, you know, I'm big on self improvement. You know, I'm big on trying to improve the. Uh, That's why my you're own doing the show. That's why you're doing the show. <laughs> my own neuroses and my own shortcomings yeah. as a man. And I read a book a while back called Remembering Trauma. There's a passage mm-hmm. in it that I've always kind of thought was very keen. It's written by Richard McNally, and he basically says that if you're the kind of individual who needs a trigger warning, you should go to treatment. This isn't something that should be a societal. Uh, uh, like a societal imposition that if mm-hmm. you recognize in yourself that the idea of talking about or you know the idea of talking about sexual abuse or the idea of talking about uh, domestic violence is so triggering for you, you should go to PTSD treatment immediately and that you should be engaging in cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy and slowly exposing yourself to these ideas to the point where you can then have a conversation without getting so triggered. This is, I think, much more evidence-based than this idea of, okay, every, hey, everybody, got got a trigger warning here. We gotta, we're gonna be talking about some pretty heavy stuff. So if you don't want to listen to it, you should probably leave. That to me is, we've created a, an entire generation of of people who are ill-equipped to handle difficult and dare I say, adult conversations around complicated things. Who's your thing, especially at a university, that you should be exposed to a bunch of different ideas and thoughts and bodies of work? that stretch you and op- illuminate uh, uh, and in sort of enlighten you <laughs> to thoughts outside of what you already are sort of coming in with. But the fact that the universities, they're starting to pull back from some of these things that wanted to create these safe spaces for children because these children had been had grown up in a world where the parents wanted to protect them from absolutely everything, everything. Like it's really interesting that peanut allergies – I've now increased, I forget the percentage, of now kids that are now allergic to peanuts. And they trace this back to they didn't give the kids any peanuts when they were younger for fear of whatever the reason. And now they have actually their immune system is now not able to, you know, effectively deal with a peanut. And the same thing occurs where um, there's a great story a couple of months ago. Um, she is a professor, she teaches art, and she was going to show, show a painting of Muhammad, which is from, I don't know what century the thing was, but it's a classic piece of work, and Muhammad is going to be seen in this piece, uh, this artwork. 
And she sent out this letter to the students. Listen, if you're going to be concerned, we are going to be showing this thing. She covered herself every which way. But then uh, activist organizations demanded that she be fired. And then the colleges Mm. fired her and stuff. She's now suing them. She said, listen, I did everything. Besides, I'm trying to show artwork and trying to be able to show the history of this artwork and the significance of this particular piece. But because your concern for two students, and I don't even think they were Muslim, that happened to be in the class, they were triggered. And so they're feeling the pain for other students that might have to see this thing. That's the other weird thing. Like, uh, you know, 24-year-old white guy is here's something, here's the N-word, and he's upset for somebody else. If you look at most of the people out there marching around in the Black Lives Matter protests that weren't setting things on fire and killing and injuring police officers, most of them were white liberals that were deeply offended by the N-word. It's like, but, but offended for other as, people. As they, as they should be, though, John. <laughs> as yeah, most yeah. people no, should be. No, 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 but right. they're offended for other people. So you talk to the other guys, like, black, he's like, don't bother me. Oh, but you should be offended by it. Because I'm, I'm offended for you, right? I'm, I'm so capable of feeling so many emotions that I'm gonna, I'm gonna take on the burden that, that apparently you're not even aware of how hurt you should be. Just, it's a weird world. Hopefully, we're swinging back the other way, and, and mm. um, we don't need to have rooms where people can, you know, do coloring books and, and mm. hug uh, puppies and have uh, pillows and things like that if they hear things that upset them. You talking about my living room, John? I didn't want to point that out. Here we go. Well, Phantom of the Opera in New York is finally going to be closing. Uh, how long did it run for? How many years did Phantom of the Opera run? I can't remember. Like I know 30 some odd years. Holy moly. You know, uh, my... Um, First wife Paula was in nonsense and did it for two years. I think she did eight, eight shows, maybe nine shows a week. It was crazy. She did two matinees, Saturday and Sunday, every single day for two years. The same thing every single day and same on. I think they were darker on Mondays, but the just over and over and over and over and over again. They, was it the Wall Street Journal did the story on the guy who sat through the fan of the opera? Was it, was it 13,000 performances? What he had? 13,000. Yeah. He's an electrician who's been with the Phantom of the Opera for 35 years and he has oh, seen God. a record 13,000 performances. And it's a, an amazing feat. And, uh, he's, uh, he's getting a little recognition from the Wall Street Journal saying, Hey, man, this is what you've done with your life. I got to tell you, the picture that they took of him is not very flattering because he's, uh-huh. have you seen the, this image is kind of like in a ramshackle corner somewhere. It looks dirty and dusty and he looks like a nice guy, but maybe put him on stage, get a little panache in the, in no, the imagery. He's, yeah. he's, he's electrician. So he's kind of hanging out back, back behind the curtain somewhere sitting back there but can you imagine all for for your angel of music Uh, uh. music. i don't want to ruin it for anybody Uh. i think the giant chandelier comes down and hits somebody at that point but the, to, to, God bless that guy. 
I mean, they should check his brain to see if he's got anything left. It would leak out of your ears just sitting there. Because <laughs> your whole life becomes Groundhog Day because all those cues are hitting the exact same time at the exact same moment for 30 years he's in there. I wonder yeah. at what point it just became sort of background noise. and Maybe he's just reading or doing something else and doesn't even notice it. You had a chance. Did you see Fan of the Opera? I saw it. Have you ever seen it? I yeah, when I was eight, I went. There was a deeply traumatic experience because so my grandparents they took me to the Phantom of the Opera and they they made a really big to do because they were crazy narcissists and so we got all dressed up and I was unbelievably anxious to be in the theater. It was a big theater in San Francisco it had to be you know five hundred maybe thousand people in there. And as it starts, I am riddled with you know jitters. As I'm, I'm an eight year old kid, it's a, my first theater performance and I and I'm thinking about what's going to happen. Like this magical experience. So it's the very beginning of the of the play, and it's a scene where they're auctioning off all the stuff from the from the opera house. Uh-huh. And in that scene, the chandelier is supposed to rise up, and all the lights turn on, and then it goes from this auction to back in the day why the theater actually closed down. Yeah. And as this massive chandelier that's got to weigh two or three tons is being lifted above the stage, all of a sudden there is a large. <laughs> A bang and then a cranking noise. It sounds like a chain broke in, in the behind the stage, and this huge chandelier falls right onto the stage. I mean, the whole yeah. thing comes right down, and people right. on the stage started screaming. Now the actors started screaming in character. I started screaming as an eight-year-old child because I thought that there was something wrong. And then eventually, John, they had to turn on all of the house lights because it had actually been. A, a massive error. It, it could have been catastrophic. People could have actually died. Really? And they sent, yeah, they sent everybody back out into the lobby for about 30 minutes while they fixed the chandelier. And I was so traumatized by this that my grandfather had to physically carry me back into the theater because I thought that it was one of those, like, it, it was real for me at that point in time. The Phantom of the, of, of the Opera was real and he was trying to kill everybody in the theater. So, haven't been back then. Are you all right now? No, I, I triggered by it, John. I, I can't even, even talking about this is, I'm riddled with anxiety. I'm going to have to take some Xanax. Well, what they need to do is, just you like, if you get attacked by a dog, you're supposed to, like, you're afraid of the water, you get a little bit of water. People should just start, you know, start out by throwing just light bulbs at you, some lower watt light bulbs <laughs> until finally you get over it. Well, I'm sorry, but you'll be glad to know that it's closing in New York City. You won't ever have to be traumatized again with your I'll be free. grandparents.